Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm Grace Helbig. This is a very special episode of Not Too Deep. I'm so excited to have Michelle Aiken, formerly Michelle Vargas, formerly my college roommate and best friend with me this episode. Oh, it's so lovely. We take a little trip down memory lane, talk about our college days. We talk about starting YouTube back in 2007. You know, the days when you got into the YouTube partner program and you thought that you really made it. And we talk about um, the time we got too drunk uh, videographing a wedding, a very expensive wedding uh, in Central Park in New York, and that we weren't allowed to do that anymore. She also talks about her world of being a life coach for the last eight years and how that has changed and grown in the current climate. Also, for any of you mothers or one of you mothers out there, we talk about her at-home birth and it's wild. And if that doesn't appeal to you, she writes fanfic, Harry Potter fanfic to be exact. So hear all about that on this lovely episode of Not Too Deep with Michelle Aiken. Michelle! Hello. Hello. I have to practice not calling you Michelle Vargas, which is all I want to do. You are Michelle Aiken now. That's Uh, true. So uh, preemptive apologies if throughout this episode, I refer to you as Michelle Vargas consistently it's and okay. only. I, you know, I kind of miss it. Do you? Yeah. Was it a conscious choice to take Aiken as the last name when you got married? Yeah, I was kind of in that place of wanting to just erase everything and start over. And it seemed yeah. like a new notebook, but on a much grander scale. And so yeah. that that was definitely that. But I do miss that when I... Um, show my ID somewhere people don't speak Spanish to me anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Also, you and I love fresh starts so much. We do. Uh, That's a major thing, which is why I think this is going to be such a fun episode. I have a million things to talk to you about because I went on my Instagram and asked people for questions. And the amount of questions about things that I had completely forgotten about (laughs) is so fun and so exciting. So so excited. I know. Well, first of all, For those that don't know, Michelle Aiken, formerly Michelle Vargas, is my college roommate slash BFF slash we moved to New York together slash we started YouTube together slash we uh, started YouTube. YouTube didn't exist. It's honestly it was (laughs) it's crazy to think about the history of it all. But first, before we get into all of that. Um, I'm going to treat you like a real guest and not a close Ooh, friend. This so, is very exciting. The first thing I ask a lot of guests that are hybrid creatives is what's your deal? Like, how do you describe who you are, what you do to someone you've never met before? Um, well, uh, <laughs> I know a very <laughs> simple question that I force people that I've never met before to I answer mean, immediately. Honestly, I, I start with, I'm a coach because mm-hmm. it's, it's my profession, but it's also just like imbued through my whole personality at this point where I'm, I'm in a service industry. I, I, I work with people on having lives that they love. And yeah. so that's really, and, and me too. So that's a really big part of who I am. And, you know, I'm also a mom and Mm -hmm. I'm a singer. I've been singing since I knew what singing was. And now I'm in an iteration of that where I'm writing my own music for the first time and working on an album. It's so I'm so excited for you. One of the things when we became friends and I knew that you could sing very well, I felt like I had a friend with a superpower. And anytime we were in any karaoke situation, I'd be like, write your name down, write your name you down. You did, and, you're such a hype woman. Oh, I, cause I, the one like true superpower I wish I had was that I could sing because it seems so effortless and wonderful to people that have that. And so when you could, I lived vicariously through you. I'd be like, get up there and sing It's Raining Men again. Oh, that was my song. Uh-huh. I have a new song. I haven't gotten to do this yet, but my new karaoke song is Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. That's a good one. Yeah. And especially that when you can actually sing and you get up and sing Wrecking Ball, that brings a whole karaoke bar together. So I feel like there's a lot of people that get up there with a lot of courage and uh, a lot of delusions of talent and don't necessarily deliver the things that you want them to <laughs> in the moment. But, okay, let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did we meet? Well, let's see. Uh, there was a boy I had a crush on who mm-hmm. turned out to be Grace's boyfriend. Yes. 
but they were on a break. We were on a break. Oh God. And I didn't even at that point, that was like my first boyfriend. And I didn't even understand what a break was. I, Me neither, to be honest. I, yeah. I was introduced to you because I saw a photo of you that he had one of your modeling shoots. And I was oh, like, God. Oh, that's your girlfriend? <laughs> How oh, lame. <laughs> and then I proceeded to try and like not, I, I got put into two classes with you and I saw you on the roster and I was like, oh no, no, I can't be in a class with that girl. She probably hates me. <laughs> I bet she hates me. And so I dropped out of, I actually dropped out of one of them, but then I had to keep the screenwriting one because I had, I had to take that. Well, I remember when I met you and you were interested in writing and interested, you knew everything about friends that I'd ever. I still do. I know it's another superpower you have. And I, I was just like, oh my God, another girl that likes the things that I like. This is very exciting in a very small school. Where can we go with this? What if we team up? I mean, I also remember that during that class, the two of us were usually the ones who were prepared for class. We would raise our hand at the same time. We would kind of look at each other over the room like, oh, we think the same thing. And then one day you came up to me after class and you were like, do you want to do sketch comedy with me? And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, because there's I have forgotten about the whole world of college sketch comedy that we were involved in until people started asking questions about it on Instagram. And I was like, oh, right. That was, we did a lot of, we did improv shows. Oh gosh. We did improv (laughs) shows. And somehow we talked our teachers into letting us do a sketch comedy television show for credits. I I really, I don't remember having any part in that conversation. Like I just remember you being like, so she's going to let us uh, basically take over this entire class with us creating a TV show and everyone has to have a role. Yes, it will see in hindsight, I was going through this. I was like, how did that happen? It was that this teacher for a TV production class or something uh, had asked about what we were doing. And I mentioned that we wanted to do this thing. And so she changed her whole syllabus. So our class of people that weren't involved with our friend group wanting to make this sketch comedy show now had to work on this sketch comedy show for the duration of the semester. And it was so awkward to because I remember her bringing that up and not saying like being so afraid of saying no or being like, is that a good idea? That I was like, I guess. OK, great. And then feeling like everyone in the class thought that we forced our teacher to do that and have them work for us. I think people remember that fondly. I'm I'm friends with people on the Internet that were in that class and also the teacher. Oh, OK. Well, good. As What's long up, as you Kelly? kept ties. Yeah. Shout out, Kelly. Well, She's awesome. We, we went to Ramapo College which is still going yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, in Northern New Jersey. And yeah, we got into uh, TV sketch comedy. And I remember Ramapo television network, the network itself, like the closed campus network would run. We'd make one episode a month or something. And then they would run it on repeat on all the college campus TV channel 69. That's right. That's right. right. Oh, remember so you made months. you made a commercial uh, that was a head on spoof. And no one remembers. I mean, some people remember head on. Um, uh, or, or wasn't it? Or was that what you made it? Whatever it was, it was like applied directly to the forehead. And you just it was like you doing it over and over again. And late at night, that would be on the TV when like people are drinking. And yes, just, yes. And it, it seemed great to us at the time. We thought we were was, visionaries. Hey. It was it was not it was not bad. I Yeah, I think for our, our resources, because this was like when Facebook started when we were in college. That's wild to think. Yeah, about. we were petitioning to be on Facebook because other colleges had it and right. we didn't. Wow. Mm-hmm. How do you even explain that to kids now? I don't know. I also made two documentaries about what is social media doing to us, which now there's a whole documentary on Netflix about oh, yeah. that. Yes. Have you watched it yet? I haven't because I've heard it's very intense. Did you see it? I watched it. What are your, what's your takeaway? Um, yeah, it's, it is really intense. It's super intense. And I feel like some of it, it's like, well, maybe that's not quite as bad as you're making it sound, but most of it is. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I think uh, I'm going through my own personal kind of breakup, a reevaluation of my relationship with social media in all sorts of ways. And so I think that is going to really, yeah, push me in a certain direction. Um, Okay, but after we graduated, uh, we had a brief stint in New Jersey house sitting um, this house situation as a job. 
of a family that had was going uh, on a trip for a month and then I got to house sit and I was very lonely and I kind of forced Michelle to come and live in this house. I was very happy to get out of my parents' (laughs) house and come hang out with you in a random house that was closer to New York City. It was it was really fun. And that's where we started vlogging. That's where we started doing Grace and Michelle letter N in between. just these very silly, nonsensical, straight to camera talking vlogs. And do you remember like what your feeling was about that at the time that we were doing it? I just remember it was so much fun because we didn't really have anyone watching, but we didn't care. And Mm -hmm. our goal, I always tell people this, that we had some rules that we made up. The video can't be longer than two minutes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we would switch off who edits it. Like you edit Mm -hmm. one, I edit one. And then we would get done and be like, okay, I have a vlog and then we show and then the other one would just like piss themselves laughing. Yeah. Um, and that was how we got started was we were just trying to make each other laugh. We weren't like, maybe we get a lot of subscribers. There were no brand deals. There was no term yeah. YouTuber. Nobody knew what a YouTuber was. It wasn't a vlogger. They would be like, how's your vlog? Vlog. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We were truly doing it for fun because at the time you were pursuing being an actual editor. Yes, I was, I was, I had a job, I had an internship in the city that I was going in for and I was editing wedding videos. Yeah. Tell me about this because I, someone asked, uh, do you have any advice about making wedding videos in New York as a side hustle? And so explain to people what your job was. This was like your entry level job basically after college. Yeah, I got in there. Um, the man that hired me had a lot of stuff backlogged that he needed edited that it all of it had an issue like, oh, we're mm-hmm. missing one of the tapes. So you're gonna have to get creative and, you know, make this bride and groom happy, even though we lost footage or, you know, there was like issues. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that. And then he saw that I actually had talent quickly. And he's like, okay, I have to pay you something. <laughs> yeah, so he, he said, why don't you hire a team of interns and they can help you. And then you get paid for the end result and they can have their college credit. Cause I wasn't in college anymore. Um, and so wow. we started doing that, but then one day his camera guy didn't show for a shoot and I took over and he's like, just don't tell anyone how old you are. You know, like, well, you know, whatever. And <laughs> I did a great job. Yeah. Well, that's the thing you always took on. And I think this is great advice for even now people graduating or if they're choosing an alternate path and they're not going to college and they're trying to find jobs is the hustle side of it and the really fake it till you make it kind of mentality because I remember you coming back to our apartment and saying I'm taking on interns and I was like how what does that mean do you know how to do that and you're like I I didn't know yeah yeah what was that yeah what was that process like for you um I mean, I, I put up ads on Craigslist and I read resumes mm-hmm. and I, through my own bias, mm-hmm. picked people. But like now I'm, I'm reading about unconscious bias. I'm like, oh my God, I totally discriminated against, like there's absolutely no way wow. I did it. Um, yeah. Mostly like, oh, this person's from my hometown. Bring them in, you know, right. stuff like that. Like nothing like insidious, just just these little things. Or this person seemed to have made an extra effort. One one kid wrote me a poem and I was like, get in here. You wrote a Love poem. It. That's cool. They stood out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I brought them in and I did the same thing he did with me, which is they tried to hand me their reel and I said, I don't need that. And they're like, mm. why? And I said, I want to see what you can. I don't even know if you made any of that. Right. That's what right. he said to me. He's like, don't show me your reel. Who cares? Maybe you stole all of that. Maybe you didn't even do it. Why why don't, why don't you take the job and then show me that you can do it? And this is why college really doesn't matter all that much. If you want to go into a creative field, like what can you do? Right. Um, so yeah, I brought them on and then, and, and I actually found out that I know stuff and that I can teach and lead a team. And it's funny considering now I train coaches in a leadership and coach training program and I train people on how to lead teams now. I know that's why I want to get into that eventually. But uh, well, to answer this person's question, do you have any thoughts uh, still about make, making a good wedding video? Um, I mean, what we did was that we were basically a fly on the wall. We weren't doing that thing where we interview people and have mm. them say cheesy things into the camera. We were making a documentary about yeah. the day, starting from the time that the bride gets dressed the very, which I think is a really common practice. Now, I think that thing that Kevin and I were doing was really not done back then, but now it's like pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it was like, think about it as art, not, um, you're not just recording some footage, you're creating a, a piece of art for people. 
I also thought that you guys did a great job. And maybe this is just because I have short attention spans that you created a trailer for the day of the wedding. Almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we I did the short and the long versions of the wedding because who wants to watch your entire wedding video? No, I don't even know. Do brides and grooms uh, want to see that at all? Uh, they watch it once, maybe twice, but we would make a short version that's all in slow motion, set to music, like really quick clips. And it would mm-hmm. be like 10 to 12 minutes long. And you get to see pieces of the whole day. I think it's great. Do you have yeah. any... I know that we had a wild wedding that we videographered one time that almost got yeah. you fired. Your hair, your hair caught fire and I stole cocktail stirs and yep. Yeah. Do you ever... What's your version of that story? <laughs> because um, this, I got to go along, like tag along as the third cameraman uh, on, I think, two or three different weddings. And the third or second one, whatever the last one was... It was for good reason that that was the last time I was there to help out. Well, so here's your bad influence on me. Yeah. Kevin was always like, hey, you know, if and Kevin is if, your boss at the yeah, time. Yeah. He's like, we are allowed to eat the food. It's in the contract. He was very good about this. Yeah. Um, and if you want to have a drink, have a drink. But, uh, you know, let's not like get silly. Yeah. Um, but you were like free booze and you kept bringing me champagne. And I, I just, I have no, I had, I had no ability to say no. And I was like, okay. And I also don't know my own tolerance. Sure. This is also to be fair to give a little context. The, I remember that the father of the bride was very generous with, uh, all of the things that he had paid what was probably hundreds of thousands of dollars for this was like a wedding at the Central Park Boathouse, like yes. to the max, like everything. The The church was like this beautiful church on the Upper oh, West yeah. Side or something. And so everything was the most expensive I've ever yeah. seen anything. And we were probably 22 at the time. So yeah. I had never had a glass of champagne that didn't cost like didn't come from a bottle that was more That's than three point. dollars. So. Yeah. So I took advantage of the free samples, basically. Yeah. I, uh, when I, when I drink, I don't drink anymore, but when I, when I would drink, I would steal. It was always a thing. Like I would get drunk and they'd be like, Ooh, these shot glasses and like put them in my purse. (laughs) Yes, that is true. Very true. So we, we imbibed a little bit at this wedding. We were still doing our jobs as far as I I knew. Everything uh, was fine with the wedding video. Nothing was wrong with that wedding video. Yeah, it just evolved into a bit of madness because we started to get a little bit more tipsy. And then Kevin, our supervisor boss, left and was like, you guys can handle the rest of this. Did he? I don't remember that. I vaguely remember at the end him being like, you guys got it. We have all the main things because it's just the party now. And like, you guys can do whatever you want to do and just like close out for the night. And then I remember you on the dance floor with a wet a camera on a stick, just like taking videos of everyone dancing and giving out our business cards at the time. Oh my God, our Grace and Michelle business cards. Yeah, we have business cards for our vlog <gasps> that you were giving out to people. That's how we were grassroots promoting ourselves at the time because there was no other... There was no other way to do it. Uh, And then the stealing part of the Michelle uh, drunk came out. And suddenly she came over to me with a bag full of cocktail stirs. Yeah, they were really cool. (laughs) So many of them. (laughs) The next day, the poor man was trying to address it with me. And he's like, if you need cocktail stirs, let me know. I'll find them for you. I was like, it's not a need thing. It's a, you know, Uh, my demon. It was a whole a whole scenario. Um, yeah, my hair caught on fire at one point from yep. a votive candle during uh, a speech. During a speech, um, and I, yeah, that wasn't a drunk part. That was just that was just hair. me yeah. being an idiot. Um, but that was the last <laughs> wedding that I videographed, and I think everyone still had a great time. Except the next day, yeah, you were brought in to be I talked got to. In tr- trouble. I didn't get <laughs> fired, but we did get banned from doing weddings there. We did. Yes, we did. Um, but I like to think that we we aided in them having a great time and that the video still turned out great. It did. Uh, but now I want to I want to go from we're making videos, we're doing comedy in New York. Where do you start getting interested in life coaching? Um, it was actually around the time that we became YouTube partners in 2010. Yes, because that's the thing. 
Yeah, because I started working with people in the personal development industry doing um, <clears throat> doing videos for their different online programs and all this stuff. And I realized, oh, I want to be in front of the camera talking about that. And then mm -hmm. so I started posting more sincere personal development -y stuff on our Grace and Michelle Tumblr. Yeah. I remember. And you made fun of me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, good point. Um, <laughs> it's all it was all insecurity at the time. I was like, <laughs> I can't handle sincerity, so I can only make fun of it to push it away from me. Well, you pushed me into making my own blog. So oh, I yes. fart, fart with headphones on my Tumblr. Um, and then I made the YouTube channel to go along with it where I was combining comedy and like advice giving, which is not coaching, but it's, it's yeah. in the realm of personal development. So I was doing that. Um, and then, and then, a lot of things happened at the same time. That was also when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, like I left my full-time job. I got a side gig. My mom got cancer. We became YouTube partners and I had just started this channel. Yeah. And, and you were dating your now husband at the yeah. time, right? Yeah. Which is <clears throat> a crazy story that uh, Michelle and I also dabbled in some, we worked at the People's Improv Theater and we started doing like live shows in parallel to doing these YouTube vlogs, vlogs. And we brought on a director who was a- Oh, this was totally you. You were like, I, we were like, well, we need a director. And it, and we decided it should be someone who's really funny, but doesn't know us that well. Mm -hmm. And you said, what about that Justin Aiken kid? <laughs> back when we were young enough that we're still calling people kids. Yeah. Cause we were what children. Justin Aiken kid. I can go back in my Facebook and find the message that I sent. Hey dude, we're looking for somebody to direct our show. And like, um, yeah, we had like a year long working together relationship before we fell in love. It's so wild. So all this is happening as you're getting interested in the more serious side of life coaching and losing my mom and mm -hmm. like trying to balance. How do I make a living as a freelance video producer also go see my mom also do this YouTube stuff. Cause that was when our channel spiked to like 10,000 subscribers. Right, 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 right. The, um, uh, so what did you l seek out something specific, a specific program? Because also I know at the time we were working, you had kind of brought me in again to working with, um, some like bigger names in that industry. And I got to see firsthand one, how, powerful that industry is, how big it is, how legitimate it is. And also, uh, like how much like social media hadn't even touched it at the time yet. Yeah. Hardly putting, yeah. putting video with your stuff was like a new thing. There are all these women who are like, you're on my vision board to hire you because of the people I was working with. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was just trying to find something. And I was Googling one day life coach training and I really couldn't find anything like substantial mm -hmm. that way. And I said, I think I said out loud, I wish someone would just tell me what program to take. And then my Gmail notification came up and I clicked on it and it was a coach who what? had been a fan of Grace and Michelle. Weird. Her name, her name is Allie Rodway. She was a fan of Grace and Michelle. She saw that I had started fart with headphones on and that I was doing like personal development comedy. Mm -hmm. And she just said, it just struck me that you would make an innate coach. Have you ever thought about life coaching? And I wrote, I was like, reply. Well, Allie, <laughs> let me tell you something. I was just Googling life coach training and wishing that someone would tell me what to do. So, and she was like, the universe is not an idiot. Wow. Like, yes. Got on the phone with her. And I was just like, oh, I need this. I, I was crying in 10 minutes and I was not a crier. Mm-hmm. I never cried. Yeah. Like, I don't think I ever saw you cry. Mm -mm. My mom died and I didn't cry. Like yeah. I later went to therapy and learned how to cry, but um, <laughs> I cry a lot now, but uh, <laughs> I'm okay. No, I, I, I got on the phone with her and she asked me just like a few really seemingly basic questions, but it was just with stuff I was not thinking about for mm -hmm. myself. And then um, she told me about accomplishment coaching, which was the life coach training program that she went through. And she asked me if I wanted to take their workshop and check it out. And I mean, uh, I went and I got to like be a fly on the wall for part of the training. And then I got to do the workshop, but within five minutes of arriving there, and I was just going to kind of like appease her. Yeah. Um, but I, I five minutes in listening to the CEO talk about um, what they were doing there. I was like, oh, 
sign me up. I, I got to do this because it was a group of people sitting around a table telling the truth to each other. Mm. And I had just never in my life been in front of that level of transparency. It was uncomfortable and very exciting. Yeah. Cause at that point, I imagine like both of us are being surrounded by comedians all the time yes. who, who comment on truth, but from a distance that's safe enough that they don't have to like reveal their own necessarily. Right. Right. So that must so have been, it was water in the desert. Yeah. It must have been like, oh, there's no uh, sarcasm about anything that anyone's saying. What is this? This is refreshing. Right. And so I really wanted to be in that. So I got to do the workshop and be one of the people who was being worked with on stuff. And <laughs> at the end of it, they go around, they just check, like, is anyone here interested in actually signing up? And when they got to me, I just went, yeah. And they were like, uh, do you mean like right now? Cause it's kind <laughs> of rare for someone to just immediately be, I was like, yeah, right now, uh, with $18,000, let's do it. I, wow. I, have no I don't have that money. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is, this is, to be fair, this is your MO at this point is agreeing to things that you don't necessarily know how to do and then figure it out as you go. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I have had a quite a muscle in that. So I put myself into a bit of a vice because I, then I, now I have to, because I put money, I put money down. It's a non-refundable deposit. And then I was like, okay, I got to figure it out. So I did. So you figured it out. Uh, Okay, I want to we're gonna take a quick break. I want to get more into the world of life coaching and how that has served you. uh, And also the fact the mother side of everything. Oh, yeah. So we'll be right back with more not too deep. Hi, friends. Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so appreciated because, again, you are very appreciated for giving us your time, your ears, your attention, whatever it may be. Uh, And that was my couple of things. Now back to me, me. Okay, so what year is this that you're starting in this life coaching world? 2011, I signed up, but it started in February 2012. Okay, so you've been doing this for eight years now. Yeah. Which is wild because, and I'm so curious to hear, you know, in the evolutions of you being a part of it for so long, because the natural thing that people do is shit on it immediately, the whole industry. And I talked to Michael Buckley a little bit about this too. What, what do you say to people that still think it's bullshit? I don't say much. Yeah. Because people who want to think it's bullshit, like they will. I'm not here to convince anybody of anything Um, because it works because you believe in it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. inherently work. It's not like surgery. It's not like, oh, you don't think it works. I'm going to force you to work with this coach. And now your life's going to be, no, it works because you choose for it to be a methodology that works for you. And it's not the only one. There's tons of ways that you can change your life and do things that actually work for you. So um, if people want to be cynical assholes, that's fine. I'm not interested. No, they're not going to sign up. Yeah. I feel like it's like you can play piano if you take the time to learn how to do it. Yeah. So people, people are like, oh, piano doesn't work. Right. (laughs) Like it does if you learn it. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Um, no, there's a lot of hacks out there playing piano. That's true. That doesn't mean that there aren't great pianists and composers though. Right, right, right. No. Okay. So you had one hacky person and that's it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Have you seen that world change at all in the last few years? Have you seen it grow? Have you seen it? Oh, it's growing. Yeah. It feels like it feels like in this world, because I remember you and I know like when YouTube first started, we were very much presentational about only the things that we wanted to show and our private lives were our private lives. And we weren't so much about the honest transparency of like mental health, emotional health, all of that kind of stuff. And I feel like Zoella was one of the first people that ever sat down and said that she has anxiety. And then everyone was like, oh my God, 
this beautiful little pixie child, like if she can say it, like I can acknowledge it in myself. So now it's very like a foundation of a lot of people trying to exist on social media is this transparency about mental health. Has that affected that whole industry? I imagine it's made it grow. It definitely, it definitely has. I mean, not only are there more coaches, there's more coach training programs now that are accredited. Mm -hmm. You can have a coach training program and then you could actually like get it accredited through the International Coach Federation. And back when I started, I think accomplishment coaching was one of a hundred or fewer than a hundred. I don't know how many there are now, but it's multiple hundreds of accredited training programs of different levels and um, accomplishment coaching still probably one of the longest, most rigorous, most expensive, like all encompassing one out there. It's Hogwarts. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's basically Hogwarts. Um, it really is. Uh, cause there's the, you, after you graduate, if you want to stay on and become a program leader, there's an advanced leadership training and, um, mm. which is what I did yeah. before we even called it that. And now I'm a senior program leader and I'm the youngest senior program leader in the history of the company. Wow. Like, Congratulations. Thank you. Doing it. <laughs> Uh, here's a question for people that are interested in finding a coach or interested in like just seeing what that world is, or they feel lost or confused or or any of that. What, what, how, how should they approach that? Um, well, they can talk to me because I'm good at helping people figure out next steps. Like I, I love those phone calls of just like, I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know if coaching is right for them. Mm -hmm. And I've, I get into a lot of conversations with people just to sort of like poke around and find out, well, what are you actually up to and where are you at to help them determine what's next? Mm -hmm. And it's not, my answer isn't always hire a coach. Sometimes it's, Hey, it sounds like therapy might be a thing. And you know, I'm not, I don't diagnose or anything, but I have a pretty good ear. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say just like, if you're looking for coaches that uh, looking for someone who's credentialed through the international coach federation is a good place to start. Okay. So that's good to know. Cause I feel like that's something people wouldn't know otherwise. Right. Right. So there's, um, ACC, PCC, MCC, associate certified coach, professional and master. Mm. Um, and really like that there's that, so that's the level of quality control in the industry Okay, right now. It's a young industry. It's being started in the eighties with corporate coaching. Right. So, right. Right. Um, <clears throat> and we're always like, working to up the level of quality control and like the ethics and everything around it. Um, I'm very involved in all of that. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of people that just say I'm a coach and they actually mean I'm a consultant. Mm. They're going to give you advice and tell you what to do. And coaching is not that really at all. It's it. Yeah. It seems it's almost like, and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you approach people like an escape room like they, you want to figure out how to like unlock the puzzles and all the pieces and all the like things yeah. to get them out of the room that they're in in some way. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But you're showing them how to do it for themselves. You're not doing it for them. Right. I'm more like standing next to them, talking to them about it and asking questions about what they see mm-hmm. that they're not asking themselves. And people, I feel like people don't realize the power of a, of a really simple question. Yeah that you're not asking yourself because you're not curious about yourself. You're more like looking for the right answer, Mm. which is very different than wonder and curiosity and exploration about Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes like the, the answer you come to isn't going to be right or pretty or correct, but it's going to be the thing that moves you forward. Right. Right. The, someone asked on Instagram, how do you coach people through such upheaval, i.e. 2020? Can't we all just hide? <laughs> but I feel like oh, you probably, yeah. uh, this year especially, must be kind of bonkers in the coaching industry, not only for the people you're coaching, but for coaches themselves. Yeah, I think um, a lot of us had, we had a rough time right at the start of all this because we're all going through such so much and we have so many support structures and things that we employ on a regular basis. And even that stuff wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. I can speak for myself. Like I, um, I made a joke. I made a TikTok that it was like uh, a clip of Ross from friends saying he's fine. <laughs> and, and I put me at the beginning of coaching calls when clients ask me how I'm doing. I'm fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how I felt. And, and they were like, yeah, me too. It was sort of like, what was kind of cool about it is we were all sort of thrown into this like pot of soup 
Yeah. And we're all like, and so it was just a level playing field. Yeah. But what I noticed is because of all the work that I do, it was sort of like everyone was just asked to lift really heavy weights, but I've been in the gym. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I'm sort of like, well, it's heavy. I got, I, and I have some people helping and it's heavy and I'm sweating, but I'm not underneath it. I'm, I haven't passed out. I'm not totally checking out of my life. I'm, I'm working with, I'm being with it. I have a lot more be with, so to speak. Like I have a bigger bandwidth for what's going on than Mm -hmm. the average person because I'm constantly putting myself into scenarios that cause that bandwidth to expand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially, yeah, because you're you're much more prepared. You've been like doomsday prepping emotionally and the rest of us haven't. (laughs) Basically, and that's what my clients said too. Some of my clients were just, I didn't lose any clients. Amazing. Right? I mean, I, I was nervous, but then I'm like, no, the work works. Don't forget the work works. And like one of my clients was just like, Michelle, if I didn't have this, I don't, I don't think like anything that's happening right now would be happening. I I don't think I would be able to do life. And I'm like, yeah, basically like it prepare it definitely doomsday prep is, is a good analogy. Well, I think like right now there's so many people we're all kind of experiencing a, a trauma on like yeah. a big global and cultural level. So I, I think it's, that's why I'm excited that you're on this episode to present this like opportunity to people that there are different ways in which you can like work with people to figure everything out for yourself. And that like, not all hope is lost and that, um, the industry, especially the legitimate one that you're in is available to people. Um, to go to move on a little bit to something equally as intense and, and important. Um, let's get into your Harry Potter fanfic world. Okay. Because <laughs> one of my favorite things about you is that you are multifaceted, that sometimes you could associate or assume that like a, a coach or a life coach is just like woo woo, spiritual, whatever, yoga, blah, 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 all of that. But you have many layers to you. And one of them is this um, colorful world of fan fiction in which you yes. are an author and participant in. Uh, let's talk about that. For people that don't know what that world is, can you explain well, it? Fan fiction, very simply, it's like if you if you really like a TV show or a book series, you can write your own story from it. Like like writing an episode of a of a TV show you really like. I'm mm-hmm. going to write my own. I'm going to change it um, in some fashion. So the Harry Potter uh, fanfic world is quite large. And, um, usually the, the area I hang out in is the, uh, is the area of Draco Malfoy who is a villain had a, a redemption of some sort and became kind of a different person and him and Hermione Granger get together. Right. I love it. This is Dramione. Dramione. Yes. Oh, you said it right. Oh, hooray. How, how, how do people say it wrong? Dramony. Oh, like, Dramamine. <laughs> how did you get into this world specifically? Well, I think, I actually think that in, if I think back, Buffy, when I watched Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer and her and Spike became a thing, that really like, that really intrigued me when I was a kid. Ah. And then True Blood, same thing with Eric the Vampire, also blonde. Um, hmm. Odd, odd. Uh, like villain and, and like the hero getting uh-huh. together has always been just something that interests me. Um, and so when I went looking at fan fiction and I saw, Oh, Draco and Hermione, that's interesting. Let me read uh, one of those. And I happened to pick, you know, I went in and, and I sorted by comments and kudos, kudos right. are on archive of our own kudos are the way that, you know, like people liked it. Cute. Um, and I found this one by an author who I'm now very good friends with. Her handle is Loves Bitka Eight, which I think is a Buffy reference of some sort, actually. But she writes fun. Um, she writes Raylo, which is Ray and Kylo Ren. Ah, uh huh. And she also writes Dramione, and and her her stuff is so good. Oh, you would love her. Um, her stuff is so ridiculously good that you're like, why am I not paying for this? How is this on a website? And she's a she's a writer. Yeah, she's okay. a real writer in the world who has awards and like she's amazing. Cool. So, um, so I started reading her stuff, and it was so good that it made me angry. 
<laughs> yeah, you know? that's that's how we used to say that we like something when we got real jealous of it. Yes, real, you're like, so oh. jealous of YouTubers were like, yeah. no. Just like making fists and being like, that's, <laughs> I really appreciate and respect them, but I'm really mad at them for making something so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I really remember reading one of her things and then just putting it down and going, okay, I'm just going to start writing and see what happens. And I wrote this 160,000 word story that just came pouring out of me. Like it was like a disease. I couldn't, I mean, people were, you were worried. Everyone was a little worried about me because I couldn't stop writing for like a month. I remember you telling me that you had started writing fanfic and then you just be like, and here's the word count of this. And here's the word count of this. And I'm like, I, I, as someone that's written a book, I can't wrap my brain around the amount of content that you're producing as a side little hobby uh, to your real life. Well, to be on. clear, I was sort of escaping my regular life and going and doing that. But what I'm doing now is actually <laughs> healthy. Good. Um, I created a schedule. It's on my wall for anyone watching. Love of, it. Uh, when I write and I, every Friday I write another chapter and I um, actually this iMac that I'm on right now was a reward slash consequence for having hit all my milestones in August. Mm. including songwriting. So I write a song every Monday and I write a chapter of fan fiction every Friday. Love it. Love it. You got to Monday, fan fiction Friday. I mean, we're still going back. We all rely on systems. Right. So the system was, I ordered the computer. It was here. And if I didn't hit all my milestones, I had to wait a month to open it. Ah. So you better believe I hit my freaking milestones. Yeah, yeah, that's a big way to get yourself to do it. (laughs) My next one is hair. <clears throat> I, I made a hair appointment for October uh-huh. and I pre-tipped my stylist. So I, I Venmoed her a hundred bucks and I was like, so if I don't hit my milestones, you keep this hundred dollars and I'll have to book again and I'll have to get re-tip you later. Wow. That's great. So there's uh, no one gets hurt in your production process. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, in tandem with the Harry Potter stuff, someone asked why a Death Eater tattoo? Oh, um, it's kind of part of a, a character. Mm. Like, so I had to create an alter ego in order to write. Yeah. And, and her name is Lillian Silver. Love it. And so I created a whole backstory for her where she's from a Death Eater family and was like, you know, marked and everything and, um, and later transforms. I haven't written this yet. Like, this is like, I'm probably not going to write this for a really long time. Um, but I couldn't like get myself to write without being behind a pseudonym. And I didn't t- publicly talk about it to anyone. I mean, I talked to you, yeah. but I didn't really talk to anyone about it. Um, and I was sort of getting in touch with like my inner dark side and my inner Slytherin. Yeah. So it's actually a, I'm a Hufflepuff. So this is a badger mm-hmm. skull and then the dark mark. So it's usually a human skull, but a badger is the Hufflepuff symbol. Ah. So it's kind of like a... It was like a, oh, I, I actually have, I'm not just like kind and sweet and loyal. Like I have a dark side to me and yeah. I, write, I write smut. That, so. I mean, I look, I'm learning about depth psychology right now and we all have our shadow side and it sounds like you got in touch with yours and that's fantastic. Also, exactly. I think that's really helpful for people that are interested in that world of fanfic, but they're a little insecure or nervous about putting themselves in it to create yeah. like a, a character in which you write through can sometimes be very like liberating. It was so... It was so liberating. Really? And then I got over it and then I was like, okay, I can tell everybody now, but I'm still Lillian <laughs> Silver. Like it's still my, you know, yeah, yeah. My, my pen name. It's a fun character. Um, someone asked any new Harry Draco fanfic we can thirst over. Oh, I love Drary. Drary. Okay. That's yeah. another area of fan fiction. Draco Harry. The Drary is probably the most popular second only to Jermione. Mm. Yeah. But there's, there's some good good authors like there's some really are they asking me for recommendations is that what they're asking for or are they just any new that they can thirst over um and with that someone else uh asked for like your least favorite fanfic least favorite that you've ever written if there is one oh that i've written i mean it would probably be like the first smut i wrote yeah because (laughs) it was so young and naive it's called you're welcome (laughs) and um it's, I mean, I was shaking while writing it and it's, it's probably fine. I just, I, I can't even bring myself to go back and look at it. Cause it was the first thing I wrote. Yeah. I being like, Grace, I wrote. Oh yeah. You wrote smut. And it's so <laughs> funny. It feels scandalous to read smut that your friend writes when she sends it to you to be like, so you're just right. Oh, wow. They're really doing this some stuff like, to each other. <laughs> straight up, straight up porn. They're always of age. 
Right. Everything's consensual. Everything. Yeah. I is don't okay. write 14 year old smut. I write like, I write stories where it's like, oh, they, they, it's 10 years later and they're divorced and they're working together at the ministry for some reason, or, you know, like mm-hmm. they just write into the future. So it's the, when he, people hear Harry Potter and smut, they're like, oh, gross, they're kids. And it's like, no, you write, you write Older. the future. You write right. something outside of what we know in canon. Right, 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 right. Well, someone's also asking your favorite Harry Potter story, be it book or fanfic. Oh, that's hard. That must I be mean, a difficult question. I mean, my first favorite was Prisoner of Azkaban, which I feel like a lot of people say because it, it, it's a really good book. But the one that I tend to reread over and over is Half-Blood Prince, number six. Mm, okay. It's really something about the book like feels like a warm blanket. Maybe it's because four and five are so tumultuous and annoying, even though they're really good. Yeah. Uh, but I love rereading the sixth one. But I haven't, read, I haven't reread the books since I started reading fan fiction. And I was on a tear of just constantly rereading them because I started that when my mom got sick and I like didn't want to let go of it. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Also, a lot of my Harry Potter obsession has nothing to do with Harry Potter. It has to do with like that was my coping mechanism when my mom was dying. So for sure it's like a part of me in that way. You're connected to it in an yeah. emotional way. Have yeah. you explored, someone wants to know the Draco Malfoy genre of TikTok? Um, yeah, that's a kind of a new thing, Draco talk. Okay. It's happening right now. Um, and uh, I have something planned. Um, I have a Draco Malfoy cardboard cutout in this closet. So like, there's a lot of stuff I, I could do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's opportunities for content there. Yeah. And I have a Hermione outfit that I just got recently. So um, see, like I said, a life coach with all sorts of layers going on. Well, I don't know if I told you, but my plan is that I'm currently writing this ridiculous, what we call a crack fic, because like, basically I was on crack writing it. Okay. Um, it's really, it's ridiculous. Like it, it's a, um, the whole story, The ve- it's just a vehicle for smut and humor. Like Love it. I wanted, I wanted to write something funny. Uh-huh. Um, so I started writing it and inside of it, I talk to the audience. I break the fourth wall constantly and just talk to them about yeah. what's going on. I'm like, Oh shit, people like, it's just, it's a ridiculous story. Yeah. Um, it, and in it, Hermione listens to a lot of Mariah Carey, like, and, and gets really emo. Uh-huh. And so I'm planning a, uh, a cover of a Mariah Carey song and a music video with me as Hermione that I'm going to put <laughs> only people who read the story are going to get it. Okay. So it's like, I'm not just going to like go post it everywhere, but if you actually read the story, you'll know how to get to it. Oh, that's fun. A little <laughs> treasure hunt. Yeah. That's really cute. Okay. We have to take one last break. When we get back, I have, uh, you guys have a bunch more questions and I want to talk about the fact that you have, um, you have a little, a, a spawn. Baby? A spawn. So we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Okay, Michelle Aiken, formerly Vargas, before we get into the last bit of the podcast, I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask every single guest that is on the podcast. And the first is who alive or dead would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? Mm, Cold spaghetti. Um, My teacher, my algebra teacher. Okay. His name I can't remember who favored all of the boys in class and it was the first year that I thought, oh, maybe I can't do math. And huh. after that, it went downhill. I was really good at math. And then that year, it's probably seventh grade. It was just like shit after that. So that guy, whatever the fuck his name was. What a dork. Really? Uh, okay. The other question I ask every single guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or close call. Oh. But you can, you can only use three words or small phrases. So mine, as always, is college. I know it. college jogging front lawn however even though we were college roommates this never happened on campus so of you were not privy to the the experiment or the experiment it was kind of an experiment uh but i'm curious what is yours have you encountered people who have never shit their pants yeah and it's um you know i respect everyone but it does (laughs) feel a little uh suspect i'm like really you've never had a close call i mean you don't there are people that have not shit their pants i believe that because some people are responsible healthy humans uh but not even a close call 
Um, kindergarten. Okay. Playground. Mm-hmm. Monkey bars. Okay. Yeah. That sounds, um, yes. I won't ask checks any follow that checks out. I can, I can, that seems like a, a situation in which uh, a crisis would emerge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're grasping, there's, there's clenching. Yeah. You don't even know how your body works at that point. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's talk about the other big area of your life. Motherhood. Yes. Now the craziest thing to me about you being a mother, one is all of it, but two is uh, you're, birthing story is absolutely insane. Can you talk about that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So I don't know why, but my husband and I both wanted to have a home birth. A home birth. Yeah. Cause I, I think this is interesting just because it's, it's very cool what you guys did. And I don't know, but I assume that maybe people that are pregnant or want to be, uh, would, be curious to hear your experience. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I did a lot of research on this with Justin and there's a lot of birthing situations where you, you absolutely do need to be in a hospital and mm -hmm. most of them you don't, but I think something people don't know about home birth is that you do a lot more doctor's appointments or midwife mm -hmm. appointments, whatever you're, you're using. Um, and you, there's a lot more prep and making sure everything is going to be okay. Right. And that you have a, you have a private ambulance service ready to take you to a hospital, which has to be a certain amount of miles away. Like there's, there's so many precautions taken. It's not like yeah. you're just like, yeah, whatever. I'll just go over there and my baby, like people hear home birth. Yeah. They're like, how are you responsible? It's like, no, no, it's actually, you actually have to do a lot more self-advocating. You have to, you have to know a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to do the no pain thing. And I had heard about hypnobirthing. So I took a, a hypnobirthing class with this French teacher in Brooklyn. She was amazing. Oh. Um, and it's essentially meditation. You learn how to meditate and do kind of manipulate your body into feeling things mm -hmm. so that, um, and I, and I happened to have done a lot of meditation prior to this. So I was really good at it right away. Like I did, I, I was natural. It was a natural. It made sense to you. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Like there are people in my class who were like, it's not working. Yeah. And for me, she was like, have you done this before? So <laughs> I, I, I take to it really well. Um, yeah. and the idea is you, you hypnotize yourself out of feeling pain and into feeling pleasure. Wow. So a very simple uh, process. I mean, <laughs> well, what's kind of funny, Grace, is that, so we did it at my house. There was a pool. I ended up giving birth on the bed because she was checking me out. And I, I was like, I don't want to get back in the pool. I was so grumpy. Yeah. By that point. Um, <laughs> but I was pretty serene through most of it. It was like candles, low lights, uh, a meditation playing the whole time, a guided meditation with this woman from New Zealand, beautiful wow. accent. Um, and very few people, but the people mm. who were there, the midwife, the birthing assistant, my doula, my aunt, Justin's aunt, my friend Jocelyn was watching the dogs. Um, that was it. That's how many people were there. And, yeah. and of course my husband, but they were, it, for me at the beginning of it, it felt like a performance. I was really? like, okay, I want to do this so good. I want to mm -hmm. show everybody that you can, you can have a no pain process. And so I was performing at the beginning, mm. you know, I was pretending to be fine. And what ended up happening is I actually became fine because it's all mental. It's a mental game. It's like, what do you tell yourself when you start to feel the pain? Do you start to panic and hyperventilate? Or do you like, just go <sighs> and just smile? I was smiling the entire time. Crazy. That's forcing, wild to me. I was forcing a smile the, like most of the time, because if you do that, it sends a message to your brain. Yeah. We're okay. And eventually the endorphins start flowing. And, and, and again, this is another fake it till you make it situation. Yes. yes. Crazy. That's a good theme running through. Yeah. But I ended up having, um, I ended up having a an orgasmic birth, which I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing either. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, my midwife is like, "How are you doing this? You're so strong." And I'm over there like, "It feels really good." <laughs> <laughs> How common is that? Because I feel like if women knew that was a possibility, maybe they'd be like way more open to like the birthing process. Maybe, but most people are just like, no painkillers, no way. Like, I'm just going to throw painkillers at it. And it's wow. like, if you don't, your body comes in and helps you with natural yeah. painkillers. And so it's not like you just suffer through it. You just get in this like crazy high endorphin. If you think about runner's high, it's like that times a million. Wow. That feels good. 
Why can I ask why you and Justin wanted the at-home birth? I had been moving away from prescribed medicine, mm. um, food with toxins. Like I had been in that for a while, just sure. intuitively. Like I think we moved to Brooklyn and I remember looking at my birth control and just going, I don't want to take this anymore. Mm. I don't even know why. And maybe it was the Buddhist classes we were going to and, and yeah. starting to look at life through that lens, the meditation stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but some, it was just intuitive. It wasn't like I'm on my moral high horse and I don't think we should do these things. It was just how I felt and I couldn't, it was so strong that I couldn't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, when you told me that's how you gave birth, I was shocked because I didn't realize that was an option uh, and an option that people choose and want to do and that you had a great experience doing it. Um, but that was now four years ago. Amelia's four. He's four. It's just crazy. Someone asks from Instagram, how has motherhood changed your view of the world? Do you worry how different it will be from how you grew up? Um, it completely changes your view of the world, first of all. Like yeah. You go from being someone who can be a little carefree to being someone who pretty much is worried all the time. Yeah, some, that's, I mean, some level. that's what terrifies me about it. Yeah, like like the kid comes and you're like, wow, okay, so now this is forever. Oh God, I'm going to feel like this forever. I mean, like I, I'm not, I'm not in it all the time. I definitely, I had bad postpartum anxiety and paranoia. Like, yeah. paranoia. like I couldn't sleep at night. I would be like, there's an axe murderer coming in our house. Wow. It, it was bad. Yeah. Um, but after that, and after getting like back into the swing of life, I'm a, a lot more uh, able to have boundaries and like be here and be doing my work. And she's with her granny who is basically our au pair. That's she's, great. You know, like we support her whole life. She supports our whole life. We're just mm-hmm. a symbiotic relationship here. And so she's with her granny or she's with us or she's with her cousins or, you know, there's so many options and, and like managing the guilt was really hard at first and eventually just became, okay, I'm not, I don't, I don't actually experience it anymore. I don't yeah. experience the worry and the guilt. I have a lot more trust. And, um, and an ability to like, okay, let me just, let me do me because all I wanted as a kid was Mm -hmm. for my mom to just love her life. Yeah. About us and what we're doing. Yeah. I wanted that so badly for her. And I really, truly believe that the cancer and, and everything was the result of just hating so much for not being, not being, not, not hating everything. Like we had, we had a, good life. Like it was fun. I had a fun childhood, you know, things, there were plenty of good things, but I feel like ultimately my mom wanted to be doing something different Mm. with her life. Yeah. Her job. Mm -hmm. And, and it wasn't happening. And there was a lot that just wasn't happening for her and she had to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, it's amazing to be able to think that through from your childhood self and recognize that and be able to be present now with Amelia and know that you want to change that for her. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very challenging. It's yeah. I'm sure it's way easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, like I have my moments where I'm like, am I completely neglecting her? Should I not be- <laughs> Yeah. No. That's, that's my biggest fear is I'm going to be so in my head about doing every single thing wrong constantly that I will be in my head about everything. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we just, there's nothing that you can do. You're going to do something that impacts the kid negatively. Yeah. But all, all I can do is ensure that I'm putting in on purpose, positive things like doing art with her and planning, mm-hmm. planning things with her so that when, when I am with her, I'm fully present and I'm doing something that I intend because yeah. in coaching, I constantly am looking at, okay, who do I want to be as a mom? Mm-hmm. And what's our next breakthrough as parents? And Justin and I work on, we both have coaches and we work on this stuff together. My parents didn't have coaches. They were talking <laughs> no, about this. No. And I think about how my parents could have benefited from just one therapy session. A lifetime of changes. Yeah. So we're both like, we both do therapy. We both do coaching, meditation, all kinds yeah. of energy healing work. I've talked to mediums and spiritual healers. Like I'm, I'm constantly working on this, but I'm yeah. not, I'm not doing it in spite of my kid. I'm doing mm. it 
for and with and eventually with, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, Well, I guess in that same vein, someone asked what's your favorite part about being a mom and or do you have any hilarious Amelia stories? I mean, I have way too many hilarious Amelia stories. I'll tell you one recent. Um, So so I scratch her back before she we co-sleep with her. So she sleeps. We're super crunchy parents. Yes. (laughs) Go sleep, whatever. Um, So she sleeps next to me um, and and I scratch her back before sleep. And she's like, okay, and back. And Mm -hmm. recently she goes, and but. <laughs> and I was like, "You want me to scratch your butt?" She goes, "Okay." <laughs> I'm like, "All right, it's a little weird, but so I, I scratched, I start scratching just the, the top right over her underwear." She goes, "No underwear." I'm like, "Okay, well, it's, it's I just gave you a bath, but it's a little weird." Amelia, you're like, making this weird. <laughs> yeah, I just like moved her underwear down, like scratching, and, and like Justin won't even do it. So the next day after this, um, we were playing tiger. Where I'm a tiger, I'm chasing her. Uh-huh. and um and she's she hides in the corner and uh and I, I was getting tired so I didn't want to anymore so I started scratching her back while she was in the corner and uh and she goes and but <laughs> and I'm like Jesus so I did it I she's did it making it a clothes. thing yeah it's a thing now so I did it over her clothes and she goes oh good job tiger <laughs> oh I don't know how to feel about that one <laughs> And that's also why motherhood scares the shit out of me is that I, I can't, uh, I'll just be like, no, you nasty. Well, that's what Justin says, no, Justin won't do it. He's like, okay, uh, uh, maybe will do that for you. I'm not doing that. Like whatever you came out of my body. Oh yeah, that's true. You have the, you have the free pass because you guys have a closer connection, obviously. Um, Michelle, this has already gone so fast and we have to wrap up soon. But Ooh. I know I, I want to know what's next. What, what are you working on? And so many people also want to know with that. Uh, you've been working on music and Lin-Manuel recently responded to a piece of music that you put up. Uh, how? Well, um, yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff really quick off the cuff like let me just like throw together this thing and that video was something that i i said wow i've always loved this song satisfied from hamilton i would love to do it justice yeah i spent over three months working on that off and on like when i had time i would rehearse i would like practice it which is not something i did i was like one and done quick videos yeah but i knew and i said it to my coach i was like i really think that if i put the amount of effort into this that the Hamilton cast will see it because if it's that good, people will share it and it will just get to them. And then they'll say something to me because they'll have to, because they'll, they'll like it. And, it, and they'll be like, Oh, this is such a, this, I, I really want to, I, I like making stuff that's, um, that's honoring the person who made the original. Yeah. Like a gift to them. Like it's almost like saying thank you for making this because it's so inspiring. Totally. Um, so I was like, I was like, he'll see it. I wasn't worried about it. And if he didn't, I would be like, okay, maybe try again. Um, but when I saw that he respond, that he watched it and he gave like the nicest compliment, it was yeah. just the sweetest thing in the world. What he said, I was like, oh yeah, right. So that's what I said. And, <laughs> and it happened. Okay. Crazy. What do I, I want to say next? And my coach <laughs> asked me that. And I was like, well, how about I double my income in the next year? And she's like, okay, what else? I'll put out an album and like, I'm not, I'm not just like bullshitting. Like I'm yeah. very present right now to my ability to uh, what we call declare and fulfill, like say, this is going to happen and then do whatever it takes to make it happen versus vaguely describing what I would like for it to happen in my life and trying to manage things to happen that way. It's, yeah. it's a very different energy. Yeah. And also, so, because if you're not dedicated and it doesn't work out, then technically you didn't fail because you didn't put your all into exactly, it. Exactly. Which is so my MO. Like, that's so mm-hmm. what I would do. Wait until the morning of to write the paper and then be like, oh, well, I didn't try that hard. So, totally. so trying is is the thing I'm in right now. And it's yeah. really uncomfortable. And I have to have support structures like accountability structures and, and like IMAX that I'm not going to get to open or else I won't do it. Yeah. No, that's that's great to recognize. Um. Okay, before we officially, officially wrap up, usually everyone that has given us uh, an hour of their time to speak on the podcast, when we do this in person, we give them a physical fortune cookie that's personalized from us to them, but we're doing it virtually. So we have a digital fortune cookie that I believe you've been given. What does it say? Read this out loud. Yes, please. (laughs) You can't spell Colorado without a cool rod. Make of that what you will. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, that's a real personal one because Michelle told me she's thinking about moving to Colorado next year. <laughs> and so I'm manifesting that for you. Sweet. Thank you, Grace. This is a great fortune. This is the best fortune cookie I've ever gotten because usually they're a little off the rails. Very true. This one's very personalized. Um, mm-hmm. Michelle, thanks for chatting with us today. This was really fun. Mm-hmm. But where can people that don't know where to find you and everything that you're up to, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram, Michelle Aiken 21. That's me. Also, michelleaken.com. It's my website. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, Michelle Aiken. Sweet. And you're always reposting, uh, retweeting and posting on your story, like very inspirational stuff. Um, so. I'm inspirational on Instagram and I'm ridiculous on Twitter. So like very true. sometimes they cross over, but mostly Twitter is like my dumping ground for nonsense and uh, Instagram is for inspiring things. Love it. Yeah, a little bit of everything. So guys, go check her out. If you're interested in coaching, definitely go check her out and get ready for new original music coming down the pipes. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you everyone for listening and watching. We'll see you next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep, too deep, too deep, not too deep. deep. It's Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. And an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. (laughs) 